0: All right, Welcome back to the show today. What you got with us, Kellen Jones. Uh, Kellen, welcome on the show. Thanks, Good to see buddy. you, brother. Appreciate it. So, Kellen, um, big time fund manager, been in the space for how many years now? About 14, officially. 14 years officially running your various vehicles and funds. We're gonna have you explain that in just a second. Okay. For anybody in the game, though, you hear of a lot of and this is just investing in general, I feel like you hear of a lot of traders mm-hmm. or people. You know, I've been trading for a year. Two years, it's very rare to see someone that's been in the markets or been in the investing game running a fund for over eight, 10, mm-hmm. 14 years. Sure. So, we're going to talk about you know, last market, huge market cycle, this potential come up market cycle. I think we have a fun episode to talk about. So, first off, for people listening, give us give everyone a, a two minute overview of what you guys have done. Previously, you're talking, you've done over a billion dollars in real estate transactions mm-hmm. um, throughout your funds and various vehicles. So, give yeah. us a two minute overview, though, of, of who you are and what you guys have done. So uh, we kind of started
1: as, as mortgage guys mm-hmm. and we were running around in 2006 and seven, saying, look, the money that an appraiser is saying is in your house is probably not really there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, if, if you're borrowing one of these 125% option arm mortgages at 1% and yep. negative AM, you're borrowing that money. Mm-hmm. So if the value is not there and the market corrects even by 15 or 20%, of course it was harder. Um, you're underwater you're there yep. so we, we were trying to teach people that you've got to find a way to arbitrage mm-hmm. and as the market started to correct more and more people start saying well where do we get that arbitrage mm-hmm. the bank stopped lending money at the same time so we started started lending money privately um, because there were still great deals in fact mm-hmm. a lot of guys had kind of seen what we had seen coming and and so that 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 created our first fund which was Centered on private lending, mostly fix and flip, but kind of whatever the banks wouldn't lend on, which was mm-hmm. almost every asset class. So we started in pretty specialty finance. Yeah, that um, and,
0: the, and the idea came out of. I mean, you were doing stuff before, but the crash happened. Yeah, this is the best time ever to get in.
1: No one's lending. Yeah, yeah. no
0: one's lending. Let's get into this. Right, right,
1: right. So we were able to do really good. Finally, the values were mm-hmm. probably correct. So a good loan to value ratio. You know, that we 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 also created our our whole mantra about value at that time, people still say, what do you lend at? What's your LTV? And I mm-hmm. say, whatever it ends up being when we underwrite the deal, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Cause yeah. we're, we're gonna lend whatever it takes to make the borrower successful. Mm-hmm. So the lending fund with a really aligning structure with our investors was born. 2017, we realized we were leaving a lot of, a lot of deals on the table. So we created an equity fund around more joint venture and equity um, positions in real estate mm-hmm. deals. We have what, some what sector vehicles, real estate? Mostly multifamily, student student housing, okay, affordable yeah. housing, um, light a little bit of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really cautious there. Uh, most commercial, uh, mm-hmm. primary food groups, core food groups. But um, we we've come away from the specialty stuff a little bit, especially with what's coming up. But uh, but that's that's the primary focus of our growth fund. Mm-hmm. Different sets of investors with different strategies on mm-hmm. the capital side. Um, but yeah, we target kind of a high yield real estate backed return for mm-hmm. both of those primary vehicles and it allows us to get into some really fun. So lending, businesses.
0: lending vehicle fund mm-hmm. and then a, an equity high growth fund. Right. 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 Wow. Spot on. Well, I'm excited to dive And then, sorry, is, is that the, the two main verticals you guys run right now? Or what else?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the cool thing about fund management and real estate particularly is you get so many great entrepreneurs some of them are real estate entrepreneurs some of them are businesses whether it's a a, a guy in a house that you're financing that um, can't get a bank loan because he's a business owner Mm -hmm. and he says hey while you're at it look at this concept or um, uh, a a retail or commercial uh, building that you're funding with businesses operating inside or startups we've been able to invest in a lot of those different um, opportunities just by virtue of, of our primary funds and then over the last couple of years also created some project-specific Opportunity Zone funds as well
0: hmm really cool yeah okay well I'm excited to unpack all this and dive into it, it. Um, we by the way just for people listening to we met a few months back I've heard yeah. of you before I've yeah, heard save. of Kellen Jones for forever yeah and I and I we finally met an event and I said and we kind of I was like I just it's one of those moments like I've been following your senior stuff forever well
1: it's surreal to be here because likewise <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, and it's fun to be here. And we've we've talked to him. He's got a lot of family connections and people we know. And anyways, yeah. it's fun to talk. So now I want to go back in your story when you guys were first starting. Yeah. You're um, you're raising money in 2007, 2008. What was that like? Well, well I mean, because it's easy to raise money when everything's up. Like right now, every, oh, yeah, I got extra cash. Let's throw it around. Let's put it into your fund. Great, let's raise some money. What's it like raising money in a downturn?
1: Hard. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't have any. Yeah. And uh, I kind of mentioned that where a lot of that capital came from was from folks who were either fearful of where the market was headed, mm-hmm. and they were taking some chips off the table, or they were cashing out equity in their house and had to really quickly create mm-hmm. arbitrage before that equity became due.
0: Mm-hmm. And wow. so
1: that's where the primary capital that seeded our fund came from, and it was it was small in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, 10 or less people with one to two hundred thousand dollars is all so for that first year and a half i mean we were officially we went from actually syndicating loans in 2005 six and seven Mm -hmm. that were larger individually on a deal by deal uh, basis than our fund was for two full full
0: years so it
1: was was a challenge
0: so and and so you you started out with syndications Mm -hmm. why move to the fund model um we felt i i
1: you know, we we had some division in our companies at that time because I felt like what we were doing was a security. Hmm. I felt like we were underwriting loans, we were offering those loans as opportunities to investors, and of course, there's been a lot of changes that I hope we can cover um, since the Jobs Act passed. But mm-hmm. up to that yeah. point, it was it was pretty scary to be generally soliciting, mm-hmm. but skirt that. And yep. in reality, we were soliciting deals that were coming to us mm. and arranging the capital. And even if it was in syndication, we either had to play under those limits mm-hmm. of of what we could lawfully do within an LLC or a series LLC through a syndication, or we had to pivot, and so we created our
0: fund. Mm, gotcha, and, to make sure, yeah, you were compliant, legal, right. and all that kind of stuff. For people listening to, I mean, so that Jobs Act came out in, 2014 2014 yeah and you had the Dodd Frank Dodd as well put a lot of laws in. how did that change right. your business I mean you saw the before and after yeah they don't even know what those those changes were, can you walk through those changes and also how it changed you guys
1: so so in 2012 and 13 we were seeing our our front row seat to that had to do a lot with the innovation of our software product that we use to manage our funds mm. uh, prior to that point we had used pretty much all the loan origination softwares and you've got that over here and then you've got your wealth management over here Mm -hmm. and you had to use either spreadsheets and word processors and whiteboards to manage your business or you would had to use these off-the-shelf really expensive options Mm -hmm. so we started developing our software over running our company over the shoulder shoulder of our uh, of our developers and building a software and the primary function of that first software was kind of a php price line of source for private lending Mm -hmm. we realized we we could, we could do better by getting the right deal to the right party even if mm-hmm. we didn't have the cash to fund it. So mm-hmm. we did a little bit of brokering through this um, database. And that was a pre-marketplace peer-to-peer database. And we started saying, this is this is kind of crazy because right now you can go online. This was when crowdfunding was kind of in its infancy, mm-hmm. and you could you could see a cooler or a backpack or something cool raising a ton of money mm-hmm. just from the crowd. Yeah, yeah, And of course, the regulators coming out of some of the the better parts of Dodd Frank said we should we should allow those who are good actors to go out and use the internet to mm-hmm. raise money yeah. from investors on their in their underwear if if, if, if that's yeah. how they want to do it. And uh, so the JOBS Act ushered in this whole crowd of retail investors that could mm. now find great products to invest in online, yeah. that aren't just giving you a free game board at the end of the day, but mm. a return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with that came a lot of good and bad, in my opinion. Mm. Mostly good, um, but it also, it brought all of these innovators who aren't lenders. Mm. and. Um, as you've taught and as you've, you've learned in managing your own products, there's a big difference between raising the capital and managing the capital. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And that innovation made it possible for really innovative companies to create marketplaces of mm-hmm. great loans and funds and things for things for, for people to invest, on, invest in. And now you've got these vehicles for $500,000 or million dollar or $5 million maxes in really small increments so you can democratize how people invest. That was great. To, to you know make it mm. a- available to the common retail investor. The downside of that is that common investor doesn't necessarily understand that. <laughs> what they get into, yeah. yeah. I mean, yep. because it's a pretty file with a mm-hmm. great website in that marketplace with bullet points returns, mm-hmm. getting that return and all of the management that goes into it and the track records, there wasn't a lot of substantiation in that regard. Mm. So it's
0: interesting, yeah. Well, that's the whole rollout of yeah. You have crowdfunding regulation CF, regulation A plus, and yeah. a, that came out and all through that and made it accessible to do that. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, like you said, good and bad that came from those and. One crazy I would thing. I would argue probably more good though, like yeah, you said yeah, too, right? Yeah. Uh, getting people in, and we have 40 million new traders yeah. in the markets in the last year, That's which is insane. Thing. Which probably isn't direct effect of that, but just yeah. of COVID and things like that, so.
1: No, it's a great thing, and actually, on the institutional side, they had to pivot, much like you see them, whether it's manipulation or paying attention on, on crypto and retail investing through the Robin Hoods of the mm-hmm. world. Similarly, back then, the institution said, oh my goodness, We have, uh, especially banks, we have brick and mortar costs. We have a 30 to 45 day approval process. Mm, And today's borrower isn't walking through our front door of our branch to get a loan. They're going Mm -hmm. online to find. So they had to really quickly create a way to participate and they they built a secondary market. Mm -hmm. And I think that coming out of the subprime um, uh, 2008 mess, they were really slow institutionally. Institutional, institutions were really slow to kind of create a secondary market for a subprime loan, hmm. which a private loan could be argued as yeah. a subprime loan. Yeah. But now, I mean, there are there are brokers today who are just introducing a, a loan that they get from their neighbors three down, three streets down to a to a lender, and instead of earning a point for that introduction as a broker, these secondary markets have said no, use our money, but go, go market yourself as a, as a lender.
0: Hmm. And yeah.
1: we'll just be your secondary yeah. market, we'll buy your notes, we'll fund your loans. And so it's really uh, it disrupted and, mm-hmm. and improved the amount of momentum and participation in our world.
0: When you have huge players in that space, yeah. and are you referencing people like uh, Cabbage or a Lendio or stuff, companies like that? Yeah, that so play in that secondary marketplace, almost as a broker. Yep, there's there's a there's a
1: lot of peer-to-peer funding mm-hmm. type organizations. There's a lot of secondary market players. A group like ours, in 2012, we were non We've always been non-leveraged as a fund, mm-hmm. kind of uh, one of our one of our principles. Um, so we haven't grown very fast mm-hmm. because we've avoided that. So it's all been through retail knock on the door you know hmm. sometimes rias will bring cash in but but mostly without debt you know you're growing by subscription yeah so what a lot of these guys have done is they've 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 had a year of maybe track record they're they're a private lending startup mm-hmm. and they'll go to one of these secondary markets uh and uh, players and say look you know. We we originate a hundred million dollars of deals a, a year, mm-hmm. and we don't have a dollar to
0: mm-hmm. lend. Yeah,
1: um, but if you will give us a box to fund into, mm-hmm. we'll go market that box. And I mean, I've seen two hundred lenders raise and deploy mm-hmm. fifty million dollars plus over since two thousand fourteen with that model.
0: Cool, it's wow, that's interesting. One, and that's that's cool. That you bring up the shift of banks, right? You saw the shift from banks going to just online, yeah. just having an online portal, and then sure. now moving to a secondary markets and essentially acting like a, it's like the Fed, then them, and then these these next tier right. of layers. What do you think the bank of the future looks like? There's been actually, I've, I've been watching a lot of, a lot of interviews from Kathy Wood or Kevin O'Leary, yeah. there anyways, Jer, Jer, Jerome Powell. Anyways, we can talk, I wanna talk a little bit bigger picture. Do you think banks are with, you know, blockchain will be disrupted? or do you think they they need to integrate into that and use that what's what's kind of the future bank look like do you think there's gonna be a big disruption with banks and what's your thought there i think
1: that there has to be number i I do believe there has to be a shift Um, and it's undeniable that there are certain technologies through blockchain that uh only only help Mm -hmm. and it's hard to see any bank even the most traditional oldest institutions disagreeing that Mm -hmm. some of those changes don't take place uh, if you think, um, if you look at Warren Buffett divesting from all of his bank holdings except for Bank of America, and you whittle that down to what are they doing differently, it's not their banking activity. It's that they are the blockchain-friendly mm-hmm. bank right now that's yeah. starting to talk about different cryptos, and and so I, I think that I think that the future bank is one that is more accessible to those who don't want to walk into a branch mm. and basically agree on what what currency is Mm -hmm. because if i can i I think that the dichotomy is that mindset and the leaders in blockchain and crypto are are for the most part decentralized you know they're 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 trying to get away from Mm -hmm. a third party being involved yeah so i mean it's it's really crazy bank of america as well they've created um coffee shops in their buildings where you uh, just like Starbucks can enable you to, you can load up your your coffee card, hmm. which is like a their own, I guess, crypto. If you think about it, it's, it's just hmm. yeah. it's what they accept yeah. in exchange, exchange for a coffee in a very, uh, and so they load. They have they have all this cash that traditionally they can use as a bank, hmm. but their uh, their customers can use you know as a crypto. So hmm. it's got to change. I don't know where. it's going.
0: Well, let's, let's go a little bit deeper here. What's your thoughts on monetary policy currently? As, as we're filming this, interest rates are pretty much zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've printed, I don't know the number, I've heard anywhere from 20 to 45% of the US dollars in yeah. circulation printing in the last 12 or 15 months. Thoughts on what the future looks like for the US dollar, for the Fed, monetary policy, can they raise rates? Are their hands tied? What, what I, I wanna hear, and we can get into, I wanna get into crazy land here. I wanna hear your thoughts. Let's hear, it. And, okay. and you know, this is everyone, it's not financial advice, whatever, but I actually, I want, Kellen. I wanna hear your thoughts from your seat. What do you see in the next 18 months, 24 months looking like with the Fed and monetary policy?
1: So to answer that, I've gotta kinda of tell you, I, I've always looked at retail investors um, in the stock market primarily. The same way I, I look at um, I don't know if you've read Doctor S- Doctor Seuss's book The Sneeches, hmm. but it's a story about a guy an entrepreneur comes into town and convinces a couple of people to put a star on their chest, mm-hmm. and then he builds a machine that charges to put stars on these Sneeches chests, and uh, you know after he gets all the stars on everyone because everyone's doing it, then he creates a machine to remove the star, and the cool people are actually the people without the star. Mm-hmm and then he leaves town after everyone takes their stars off. Um, I own a GoPro and all the gear that comes with a GoPro, Mm -hmm. and I know how much that cost me. And Mm -hmm. when I see a stock's value uh, more than the amount of widgets you could sell at the highest package that you're offering over 10 years, the overvaluation, Mm -hmm. meaning nothing to retail investors for like the last five to 10 years, is really concerning to me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like on one side of this, you have um, a less sophisticated retail investor in the stock market, and the stock mm-hmm. market traditionally, as we all agree, has has been a major indicator of where we're headed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm I have I have nothing bad to say about retail investors finally getting a chance to play mm-hmm. with the big boys, and what we saw with AMC and 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 GameStop was incredible, so much fun to watch, <laughs> so
0: fun, yeah,
1: but. It also shows that those power shifts are coming. You have the accredited investor definition with help from organizations like those I'm involved with that has changed Mm -hmm. to be more open to those that if you're a a BYU finance uh, professor, but you don't happen to make $250,000 a year or have a million dollar net worth, Mm -hmm. you're accredited. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have sophistication, which is what the SEC is trying to say. So I, I see a lot of good movement in retail investing opening it up to the masses. Um, and I hope that there's still a way to at least make sure there's some sophistication there so that people don't get hurt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: On the flip side, beyond the cash being printed, we have you know higher than ever household debt, mm-hmm. consumer debt. We have higher than ever business debt. We just went through a massive lull where most of the stimulus is coming from what people have received from the government, um, which regardless of where we stand, politically our economy's not used to that type of solution yet mm, yeah. and we haven't adopted that so to go back and forth between economic policies every 4 to 8 years that i feel in a in a in a world where innovation is creating movement and momentum and changes in how we handle our money and invest in businesses and return capital to investors it's scary that, that that's the economic world that we're we're kind of living in hmm. But to answer your question i i don't i don't see it going well mm-hmm. um the, the 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 stock that i am the index i'm the most invested in personally is is the vix index mm-hmm. because i feel like every four to six years you can buy it at a four dollars a share or fourteen dollars a share and it goes to 150 or 250 or a thousand dollars a share the second the market market shows volatility Mm -hmm. and all of the all the reasons that it's low right now because the market is good right now have a lot to do with debt and you know putting our finger in the dike with with printed money Mm -hmm. and I I'm not certain we're keeping up with the world in innovation and we are expected to lead the world in Mm -hmm. monetary policy yeah so I'm scared I'm a little scared from that perspective
0: interesting so and we have low prod productivity right now mm. a lot of people aren't working and so you have money printing you have these crazy price earning ratios like you mentioned right um and so so those are the problems where do you i mean we've been talking about this though even before covid i've had people on my show and talking about oh, hey it's the crash is we've coming been late
1: cycle for we've been late three or four years so if you in
0: 2018 long. you were like we're late you know and then yeah. 2019 came around then 2020 came around then 2021 yeah. came around like where where is that day of reckoning and
1: what does it look like
0: you know is it the i guess the two um i don't know, at least i think about right obviously if a, a country prints a lot of currency you should have inflation yeah however is the united states the exception are we the exception because we're the world reserve currency we have and I think the US dollar currently is only backed by the US military. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that we can drop bombs in other country is is really the only reason that Turkey or China or whoever will keep accepting our dollar. So do you think there's gonna be this black swan event? And if so, what event would it be? I
1: mean, we're not on the gold standard by any means anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there isn't a certain underlying value related to our dollar, especially the more that we, fl- uh, we print. But I don't think it's a secret that this this recovery or this event to, to come will be different than we've experienced before. Mm-hmm. Number one, because we're so late. We're so late. Mm-hmm. We're so late. Yeah. We've seen, I mean, if you look at the crypto bull run, mm-hmm. you see, uh, you know, these 300 and then 450 and then 800 day <sighs> runs in crypto yeah. since the massive cras- cr- crashes like we're experiencing in that world right yeah. now that that maybe maybe we are the exception when it comes mm-hmm. to recovery the things that i think offset all the fear um, that are our, our real uh, metrics to look look at are there's still demand in mm-hmm. real estate at least mm-hmm. there's still there's still capital that's funding real estate purchases and investments that was either saved because people stayed on the sideline mm-hmm. or accrued more so although there is more no, there is more debt there's also a higher degree of savings. Mm-hmm. Some of that's yeah. come from the government. To, in, but I mean, I, if I were to ma- wave a magic wand and say, you know, you get a stimulus check and you don't necessarily need it to feed your family, what do you do with it? I'd say invest it. Mm-hmm. I'd say put it in the market, not the, the market, but I'd find a place, find to, a place to, put it. to grow it. Yep. So I don't fault anyone for doing that, but it isn't necessarily the same as accruing wealth over a lifetime of mm-hmm. working. or. Yeah. Uh, but the, the cost of labor, is is really interesting to look at at uh, against the the cost of of or the the growth of uh, the return of capital to investors like that mm. ratio is so out of whack right now, mm. and you
0: mean and the cost of labor going
1: up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cost of labor is going up, and there's higher pressure on on employers to to pay a living wage at a time where there's more. Inequality in in who has the most capital mm, and who yeah. has, is making the biggest return. So I, I I think that I mean the crazy thing is in 2008 we just saw so much correction, um, based on the fact that people were getting bad loans. They didn't have money to be overpaying for a house, let alone mm-hmm. paying for a house, let yeah. alone the nin- ninja
0: loans, right? No job, no income. Oh my loans, goodness! Yeah.
1: So like this time around, so different. Hmm. I mean, we have we have these properties in Park City, I think we were talking about, where um, we bought them as vacation rentals. We bought six, we sold two uh, last year for 1.25. That was about a $250,000 per home uh, gain that we rolled into mm-hmm. down payments for the, fi- the other four because interest rates were great. Mm-hmm. So now we add four. We thought we'd hold these until like 2030 and then mm-hmm. eventually sell them for 1.8 and then cash flow them in the meantime. Yep. As a joke, I put it on the market at 1.8, one of them. Okay. And listed in the listing that we'd only accept cash offers with 14 days' close or less. And so, just
0: we, crazy terms. Just, so, yeah. I don't
1: know what it's going to look like, but I do feel like this time it's going to be different. And maybe that means that it will be a softer landing. Hmm. Maybe it'll be less um, of an impact on those who have created some. Stability in their in their portfolios. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it looks like, hmm. but I do know a lot of people are still hurting. A lot of people are still unemployed, and the moratoriums on the things that they were obligated to pay are coming due. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those things we can't really plan around.
0: Yeah, huh? That's interesting. Well, and that's wild. Your your properties, jeez, it's nuts. Yeah, and it, that feels like the top, right? Yeah. we've been saying that for two years. But those right? buyers, they're
1: not. They're obviously not investors they aren't mm. buying it for the same purpose I bought it yeah, for. Yeah, true. They're gonna buy it to live in it or call a second home, mm-hmm. and they aren't getting a loan from a, I mean, they submitted a proof of funds mm-hmm. that says I'm buying buying it cash. Yeah. So that gives me a little bit of confidence that although they're kinda screwing it up for folks that don't have those sort of mm-hmm. means to buy a house and get into a first home, it's not with some crazy negative AM loan mm-hmm. at 110 percent LTV. Like yeah. they're paying
0: cash. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting. One, well, you mentioned it. You kind of teased at it, but the wealth gap is being so widened right now. Yeah. And an economist on my show, he was talking about more money is moving to more pockets than ever before in the history of the world and people are physically moving locations more than ever in the history sure. of the world. We have this huge global migration going on and we have wealth moving pockets right now at a faster rate than ever we've seen in the history of the world. It's very interesting. And I, I kind of yeah. set up a couple nights thinking about that, about where we're at. So I like hearing your thoughts. Now to close up this conversation, if we want to, what are, if there if people watching that are a little bit scared, okay, Kellen's giving me this, you know, all these things that are going on, what's, um, not financial advice, but if you were telling your son or your best friend, where would you be some places to look at or, or notice or maybe to invest into or to think about right at a current time? And you've already been in the game through a previous market crash, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure 2004, 2005 yeah. felt just like it does right now. Um, and what would, what would be your advice there?
1: Well, if I only knew someone who was a proponent of the fund structure, I'll start there. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the reason that I love the fund structure is the landing is softer no matter what. And that's mm-hmm. that's one, you mentioned that it, it is uncommon to have almost 15 years in a fund. Mm-hmm. And that's for two reasons. Either the fund fails when the market mm-hmm. crashes and people didn't know, they didn't plan accordingly, and they they didn't have the experience to see themselves through and their investors lose. Mm-hmm. Or they, the opposite happens, and they planned effectively, and in a fund, one of the beauties is, um, you know, deliberate diversification, mm-hmm. where in our case for our debt fund, it's by geography, asset class, and and locate, uh, geography, asset class, and and size. Mm-hmm. So we're not allocating over 10% of our AUM in any one deal. Mm-hmm. So that although we try to velocitize that capital and replace it by selling that note to the secondary market or getting paid off relatively quickly, whether that happens or not, if we're sitting and holding a deal. And that asset loses thirty or forty percent of its value. Hmm. It's just one of multiple assets in the fund. If uh, the market in a highly uh, in a dense area that had a massive impact from COVID that lost a bunch of industry and people moved away, we aren't. You know, we aren't tripled down mm-hmm. in any one, one geographic location, except for Utah, because like the, the, all the indicators are the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, then, then when it comes to, uh, so, so I just say the funds the fund structure, like what you're doing is really important because not only is it teaching people how to create these vehicles, but my advice always goes to, to people who think that they're making good decisions by making their own decisions investment by investment. Mm-hmm. And if you look at those who were hurt, during the financial crisis it was the people who were mostly on black they just they picked something that most of their wealth was growing in Mm -hmm. and that thing corrected hard yeah and although it whittled down those who did have um a spread on their on their on their holdings seemed to weather a little bit a little bit better Mm -hmm. what i'm telling my kids from from a from a future perspective what to do now is it seems like You can't go wrong in in learning anything in the software game if you're if you're if you're coding if you're learning to code i I want them doing that as much as they're going to sports and music practice right Mm, now yeah but the world we live in and this applies to investing it it applies to our consumer decisions we are an on-demand world now you Mm -hmm. can get whatever food you want whenever you want it wherever you want it in 10 minutes and Mm -hmm. that's unfortunate what it's teaching our kids but it's also <laughs> shaping the way that investors mm. think, mm. this immediate gratification. So that even in a growth fund, they want information quickly. They mm-hmm. want docs to be automated. Yeah. We live in a world, so on the operational side, I'm like, get ready. If you wanna be a productive uh, value add person, you gotta learn trades that, that, that are either in the software world or that are kind of on demand. And when it comes to investing, just just spread your chips wide enough and I've heard the other side of that, yeah. like the uh, the 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 anti-diversification um, models are very fascinating to me, mm-hmm. but not when we feel like there's an imminent uh, crisis. And, ahead. Yeah,
0: something coming on. Yeah. Well, that's exactly if you listen to Ray Dalio has been preaching for the last eight months on all these topics and his answer every time is just you got to diversify. I don't, I don't know the. he goes, I don't know the answer, but if you diversify well generally you're pretty good.
1: Yeah.
0: At least in a, on a, from a personal level, level yeah, right? Yeah. And Now your fund, you can decide what you're gonna do, whatever your thesis is. But right. um, as far as, uh, now talking about your guys' fund and your guys' funds that you manage and everything. Sure. I, I love that you mentioned this transition to needing docs and updates, things like that. Do you guys use a number of softwares now to do that? And how, like with actual fund management and investor relations, Yeah. how has that changed for you? And, and uh, what things have you, put, you guys put in place? We've used a lot of bad stuff Okay. and developing
1: yeah. our own um, is not what I would suggest to mm. everyone. Um, just to be full disclosure, because you've got a great following, I think we're probably $2 million deep mm. in an eight year development cycle of putting the right tools behind our operations. Mm. Um, now it'll probably save us a tremendous amount of time. Um, on, the, on the deployment side, there are so many people who are really good at creating a package, and mm. they they do that because they know that the package that they're sending out is the key to getting investors it interested. It sells people. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the Chinese wall between uh, ops and optics is mm. so important, but at the same time, those worlds have to speak to each other in order mm. to effectively operate. So we've we've integrated a really um, incredible, streamlined uh, home. I mean, a homegrown software mm-hmm. that I have. I have peers now. Um, we're redeveloping now and, and kind of migrating code to make it more uh, available to third parties. Because like I'll have peers that are like, I've struggled with this, and I'll show them. Yeah, instead of uh, instead of uh, the borrower calls and says, Hey, what am I, What am I waiting for? Or an investor calls mm-hmm. and says, Hey, I need this answer. Having them be able to log in at the push of a text message link is is a massive win. Mm, yeah, some of those things like, and and I it's gone from like eighth to tenth on our investor satisfaction kind of surveys on how important it is for people to have access to their accounts and on demand features and automation mm, and yeah. visuals from like eh, lower to extremely important.
0: Yeah,
1: and I can't say enough about how. All the stuff leading up to taking that dollar and all the stuff leading up to deploying that dollar, like no one focuses enough on that. Mm-hmm. And that's primarily what our software tries to automate.
0: Hmm, really cool. Yeah. And you guys built your own, what you're we saying. Did, yeah. You wouldn't recommend it, but you did build your own to yeah. do all that.
1: Yeah. I would I would say that there are ways to aggregate it. It just mm-hmm. depends on what just don't overlook the stuff that's hard. Hmm. Because um, a lot of people just don't do it. They mm-hmm. they're like, okay, I'll just whittle this down to a to an invoice in Excel, and they're they're cutting themselves short. Because mm. if they're great operators, they're gonna with a little automation and better optics, they're gonna they're gonna raise more money.
0: Yeah, I love that. The op- you said the optics and the ops, yeah, the operations ops yeah. coming bring those together. I love. That's pretty cool. I like yeah. that. I want to ask you on so inside the inside of your fund, yeah, how do you? Um, so that's kind of the outside how you're, you know software and stuff. But how do you guys run as a team? Yeah, um, I'd love to hear. It's very interesting actually to ask managers this question because there's a lot of different ways to do it. Sure, I'd love to hear. Do you, do you guys run an investment committee style? How do you vote on deals and properties? Um, how many team members do you have? How do, do you have analysts that bring them up to you, or do you guys just look at your own deals? Like how does it how does it work with you guys?
1: Um, it's it's funny because as much as we plan around spending as much time in the trenches as as we do, mm-hmm. and trying to replace ourselves in certain roles. Um, Any really good fund manager, I think, is obsessed about being in the trenches. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do, by virtue of obligation, and just I think from our fiduciary perspective, spend a lot of time in the trenches with Mm -hmm. our analysts. And and I'll I'll, I'll go through some of the more formal side of it, but um, trying to figure out what you can trust others to do when you're the fiduciary signing your name and saying Mm -hmm. i accept your money i'm going to watch it for you it's a it's a heavy burden that we don't take lightly Mm -hmm. and and so you know we we do a lot of things that we probably could hire out um but we're we're serious about it um we we try as much as possible to keep a healthy um, distance between an originator and an underwriter on the deployment side and that goes for Equity deals that we're going to go and develop ourselves, all the way to loans that we're bringing in, because we 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 first and foremost try to eliminate the um, the conflict between someone who's underwriting the loan and then getting paid for it being funded. Hmm. So we try to at least make sure those are are you know uh, different different roles. We do have investment committees and loan committees for the different funds that we require a certain amount of underwriting to have taken place in order for it to be to the point of decision. Yeah. Which, you know, from a marketing perspective isn't always the best thing because mm-hmm. people are like, "Oh my gosh, I've got to be pregnant, you know, <laughs> 9 months pregnant before I know whether you're really going to do this yeah. deal." Yeah. Yeah. But so many, so many fund managers have such a problem understanding that even if it means saying no and even if it means losing the deal or mm-hmm. m- missing out on a little bit of capital, nothing is worth doing a bad deal. Yeah. Because-
0: No deal is better than a bad deal. Yep. No
1: deal. Yeah. And and it's just, it's so, so, I can't stress enough that in our, in our 14 mm-hmm. years or so, the biggest distraction from doing our best has been the deals that don't go the way that you plan on. And even if you plan on them going bad, the, the amount of bandwidth that it takes to go and sit in a in a in a deposition Mm -hmm. um, to prove you know that your docs were all correct all those things that you go through those take so much time and energy Mm -hmm. and if you look at how it how it how it transitions over to yield um our first loans were you know seven or eight points and 12 to 16 percent and it wasn't just because we could charge it it was that was the risk pricing mm-hmm. risk adjusted yeah. pricing well if you foreclose after 12 months on a deal and then there's a bankruptcy for 12 more months and then you stabilize for 12 more months and you're selling it in that fourth or fifth year all of a <laughs> sudden that 20 percent return is annualized over four or five years yeah we'd rather make you know two points and two percent yield spread on someone else's money uh, off our balance sheet. Ten times a year, quickly, yeah, still adds Turn up to twenty-four percent. Yeah, so um, yeah, operationally, we have we have our underwriting team. We have a really succinct process. Some some parts of it are are sequential because you need to be ordering title documents and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know credit uh, reports at the same time. You know, you're you're running a background check. Other parts are very sequential. Mm-hmm. Simultaneous. Sorry, the first the first scenario is simultaneous. So we have a workflow to make sure that. We don't ever get bogged down. We give every sing- every single deal the same the the same shot hmm, because you yeah. get the thing. that software allows you to do is it allows the the really good borrower with really poor computer skills that can't create a great package the same opportunity through your mm-hmm. system yeah. that a really gregarious bad borrower has because he has a great presentation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of on the underwriting side. We're heavy mm-hmm. heavy cool. on underwriting. We do service our own loans and our own investments. We do have an asset management department. Um, the, the, the wealth management side and the capital raising, um, whether it's by virtue of us feeling a necessity to be in that process because we're the fiduciaries, or whether it's because the investors require at some point and at some level saying, okay, thank you capital markets guy, but I wanna meet one of your principals." One, one, or both of those reasons. For one of those, one or both of those reasons, we're we're always in the trenches on the wealth management side. Mm,
0: really cool. And how, um, as far as partners, mm-hmm. no, you got, And obviously, it sounds like you got a great team now, and things built out. I get a lot of questions from people. Um, I'll the same question. Hey, if I so, I'm going to bring on a partner that helps do money raising, or is going to help me uh, run the fund, or be my, you know, chief investment officer. What is uh, what would be your advice? you know, splitting the pie that way. And, and I don't know, how many, how many partners do you have? Do you so, have partners or just you? Yeah. Or how do you guys work? In
1: our management company, we have we have four operational partners. Mm-hmm. Sean and I uh, together have kind of a super majority of our GP. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the other members of our GP are operational partners. They're there every day with us. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's two or three, you know, sing- low single digit partners who we incentivize to be investors by, giving a piece of our management pie and including in some of our mm. bigger decisions.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I would say it depends on the time of, of the life of the fund. Mm. Um, if, if you're brand new getting started, um, just like you talk about alignment between investors and management, mm-hmm. that's what's gotta be there. Mm. My partner, Sean, uh, bought my former partner out in 2017. Um, the primary reason that that needed to occur is um my former partner and i were out of alignment when it came to uh owned asset decisions Hmm. we weren't loaning to own but we were we were heading in a direction where too much of the uh, investor's income was coming from owned assets and we're a lending Mm -hmm. fund yeah and um we were making great money and with that came some complacency mm, and yeah. we're trying to get innovative and so i was looking for a, a real estate software partner that had you know a little bit of background in both, both because of the direction that i wanted to go and so i, I don't there i have a great partnership mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we agree on everything in fact it's the beauty of it is when it comes into a credit committee to set rules around you know you're you're going to defend this fund i'm going to defend that fund we're going to keep our investors in mind in everything that we're saying to each other, and drop our egos. Partnerships can be great. At a minimum, even if you don't bring on partners, um, you need to surround yourself with great, great operators. Mm, yeah. Because the management of those dollars is sacred to these investors that that entrust their money with you. Getting it in the door is just like a fraction of the of the equation, as you yeah. know. So I love I love my partner. I love the other members of the mm. GP. Um, I would say a week doesn't pass that we don't get a really probably a really good um, guy or gal coming in and saying, "Here's my track record in raising money.
0: Mm-hmm. I want
1: to be part of your GP." Mm, yeah. Once you establish something, um, be really cautious about giving away a piece of your GP just from someone who can help you raise money.
0: Interesting, because
1: huh. they're not incentivized to go and keep the product healthy. They're not mm-hmm. incentivized yeah. to go create value and they think, okay, I get paid to bring an investor through the door, not to service them, mm-hmm. not to talk with them. That's your job. So all of a sudden you've got this salmon run of capital and you don't have any help yeah, in to run it. investors. Yep. So hmm. be huh, Interesting. There.
0: That's interesting with them. And have you have you brought on do you do you find other ways instead of using GP? Do you say we're going to give you a- a commission or something if you bring in investors? are they usually not like that, or is it just they just want a GP? So obviously spot? there's a
1: there's a myriad of compliance related concerns yeah. there that if we got. They gotta, have to be an investment it.
0: advisor and have yeah. their licenses and stuff to do that. Yeah.
1: Um, and I've I'm fascinated with uh, with uh, your pops uh, structure because we're not we're not an RIA, but we do get a lot of our capital from RIAs. Mm, yeah. And. What that's allowed us to do, because we have an aligning fee structure, and that was that's the only kind of barrier of entry that that made it easier for us to raise capital from RIAs through allocation. Obviously, you have to go through approvals on on the broker dealer. Now you got to be approved on Schwab and Jones and um, TD and and get on their platforms. But outside of that. It's, it's really great to extend those capital raising efforts and the sophistication and decision making to a registered investment advisor. Hmm. Because although um, in most cases, I think folks that are sophisticated and wealthy can make their own decisions, mm-hmm. I think that as long as the fee structure is aligning and they're not diluting their investor's return, an RIA who is, who is interested in, in, in alternative investments and funds is a great way for people to, without bringing a member into your GP, still incentivizing someone because now the fees on their side.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Our debt fund because we're a true uh, income split model. Mm-hmm. The RAs love it because you know if we if we gross um, if we gross twenty percent and uh, net seventy percent to our investors, the RA can still charge one or two point mm-hmm. percent to manage that money and you know they're still in double digits interesting so uh, they'll yeah. they'll allocate 20 or 30 percent to that fund of of that investor's allocation just because it becomes kind of an income backbone for mm-hmm. their investors yeah
0: when landing an ra i've heard all sorts of stuff on that it takes i'm guessing it takes some time some time yeah to build up to that what was your guys experience landing RAs to actually help you raise capital
1: um unfortunately uh, for for those who are just getting started, sometimes the and only sorry. Thing
0: let me clarify. Re- registered investment advisor is right. what we're talking about. These are wealth planners. High, usually they, you know, the, you know your your brother in law's friend that comes yeah. and pitches you. Hey, we can manage your money for you and help you. Thirty into bonds,
1: thirty into stocks. Yep. You know, and
0: then we'll put some into al- maybe alternative assets, right? Maybe. Which would be funds. And so yeah. some it depends on the RIA. They're all over the place. But that's right. what we mean when we're saying RIA. So registered investment advisor.
1: Yeah. So they. Um, we, we, in the beginning, it was really difficult. The allocations were small. Mm. Because investor, the, the, these RIAs, they're used to very, very traditional metrics. Mm-hmm. And their yeah. investors are even more used to very, you know, very traditional yeah. investments. Yeah. So when they look at a statement and they see anything that isn't, you know, Vanguard or something with a very traditional name, <laughs> yeah. they get a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. The thing that they love about it is they get a higher yield with more security and they have to manage it less. They have mm-hmm. less management. Yeah. So um, landing landing RAs though, I would say the biggest thing that it took was track record. Mm. They're um, they're the antithesis of what a startup uh, fund would probably see when they go out and they pitch <laughs> yeah. a deal and yeah. then structure a deal and then you know that that process doesn't typically work for RAs. Mm-hmm. But once you have even established a fund or a deal. Mm-hmm. That's the track record that, in a, that, that I mean, RAs, we've had RAs that have said, unless you have a third party due diligence study, yep. we're not doing it. Unless you're GIPS verified and GAP compliant, uh, we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Unless you go and get a market study from a you know, $50,000 market study, you're not on our platform. Yep, yep. So investing some of those things took time.
0: How many? How long track record, for, for, at least for you guys, how many years it take to land a first RA with track record?
1: Um, so about three years in, Okay. We got one small RIA to make a bet on us, mm-hmm. and we showed how one of the one client that they allocated thirty percent to our first debt fund um, outperformed the rest of his clients cool. by like twelve or thirteen percent that oh, really year. very cool! Yeah. And while people while people were losing money in two thousand nine and ten, you know, he was up considerably. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gave us a, a case study mm-hmm. to take to other yeah. RIAS and actually the beauty of that once you get to that point you can start building on that momentum is every ROA RIA is extremely conscious of allocation uh, risk and so they want they want to know that they aren't more than about 5% of your AUM
0: yeah which yep. means
1: you got to have a lot of RIAs for it to make yep. any sense yeah They also wanna know that they're not competing with you as an RIA. Mm -hmm. So you've gotta make that determination relatively early if if you're gonna go after RIA capital. You have to have at least a plot line that you aren't a traditional RIA, Mm -hmm. only a structural RIA if you're gonna take their money. But just line upon line, case study upon case study, eventually we have at least a half dozen RIAs now that I would say put 20 to 30% of their client's capital in our two primary funds respectively. And then everything that we come out with, they at least throw some capital mm-hmm. at. So mm-hmm. it's a nice, it's a very aligning relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. I, lo- I love to hear that. That's cool. Okay, I got a few more questions for you. Okay. We'll wrap up here. I know you got I got to run in a second. But um, as far as you guys started out of a crash, yeah, kind of right. Yeah, that's kind of sure. where I mean you started before, but you really yeah. got some legs during a crash. Yeah. For somebody watching right now, we're in this feels like the tippy top. It could be continue to go. Would you say? you know, be like the the Paul Tudor Jones that took advantage of of adversity and wait and maybe get things ready to go, but wait for a correction, wait for a crash to get into a full out fund. What would be your advice there for someone that's watching this, that wants to get in the game, wants to be like you one day, would you say, hey, maybe be a little more tentative right now? What were your thoughts there? Um, obviously, preparing
1: takes capital. So, um, I would say, don't bite off so much that you're spending the money that you could be uh, building wealth in the meantime mm-hmm. by putting it all into a fifty thousand dollar ppm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I would also say that there it choo- choose who you are today. Choose who you are before that happens, mm-hmm. because I can respect that there are there should be, and this is an idea for someone, but there should be you know dozens of uh real estate entrepreneurs who have maybe made money on the side of borrowing money from private lenders or mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, they're, they're borrowing money from one fund to buy the houses, then they're borrowing money from a second fund to uh, refinance half of, that, half of those and then they've got cash flow coming in mm-hmm. and isolating your, um, cure, uh, aggregating your, your cost of capital into one good rate real estate entrepreneurs right now who have had a good run, I would be going to um, investors and saying, look, this is my track record of what I've done as an operator. Hmm. This is what I've paid for the capital
0: hmm. and how yeah. much
1: it's diluted my business model. If I can find you know, that much capital for what's about to happen, whether it's money from the sidelines because mm-hmm. things correct hard, I want to build a business uh, my business around a certain cost of capital where I'm sharing it at a consistent cost that I can rely on mm. that's two or four or six percent less when you aggregate all those all those costs into one so whether that it's whether it's a real estate entrepreneur yeah. or not everyone's like I want to be on your side of the table and it's like okay well then just come over mm-hmm. yeah it's not I don't think that it's going to be possible to do that once it happens I think that I would say to people that are wanting to get into the game to kind of pick their path and their variable and watch for it. Hmm, that's smart. So they know when it comes, you know, they're just ready to deploy.
0: That sounds like your story. My, my dad, I've shared that story on me That's what he did. I mean, he was in the game at 2005, 2006, and then seven hit and he was like, here we go. Yep. Eight here we go, right? This is our time. We're running toward the fire. Now we're gonna go and, cause we have this little, we've picked our vertical. We've, we've got a little bit of a tracker before and we didn't get crushed and now we can really take off, I love it.
1: I would also say one thing uh, to avoid the clatter, because right now, every single one of us as a dude is watching crypto and Mm -hmm. like, oh man, I'm staking on DeFi. And (laughs) they don't know what that means. And I'm buying this this altcoin because of what happened to Doge. Mm -hmm. And they're not taking their profits. They're holding till the moon. And uh, how do you say H-O-D-L? Is it HODL?
0: I, I don't know, hold, HODL? How do they say it? They're doing that <laughs> yeah. and spelling it wrong. Yep. But
1: that's fine. But I would be very, very cautious to be a snitch right now and just do mm-hmm. what every TikToker is Tell saying you yeah. to do, because you'd be much better sitting on the sidelines. Hmm. But that that's so different than a fund. Yeah, I mean that's personal investing. Yeah, a lot, yep. a lot of people are like, oh, so you, if if I invest in a fund or create a fund, it's taking away from investing or creating wealth through my crypto investments. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, it might it might sacrifice your ability to do that, but those things are not mutually exclusive. Those mm-hmm. things are different vehicles.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I always hate when we're we're compared to like some guy's crypto investment. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was talking to a guy uh, A guy runs a fund yesterday. And he's like, i he's like, I'm really happy. Crypto's down. Said, like this last week this just took that huge tank, right? Yeah. And he's like, now all my investors are calling me back, yeah, because they've been forever. Well, I'll just put my money into Dogecoin; I'll be just fine. And he's like, guys, it's it's not. This is not the game, right? This is a short term thing, and then it crashed, and all of his investors, yeah, okay, I guess you were right. Maybe I'll write you a check now. Yeah, and he got a bunch of investors in. <laughs> he was telling me yesterday.
1: <laughs> it's I mean, it's just so different. We mm-hmm. go to work for twelve or fourteen hours a day, and underneath the investments are. Tangible pieces of property, not non-fungible properties, mm-hmm. but tangible properties <laughs> yeah. that, if the market corrects, we're spread between, and if we hold, we're going to be in great shape. If we sell, we're going to be in great shape, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, the cash flow. Yeah. So it's like find yourself a, a, a nest egg yeah, to
0: attach to. Yeah. Okay, Kellen, I love this. I know you got to head to a, uh, your kid stuff. I want last question. I want to ask you. And I uh-huh. ask this everybody on the show. Okay. You've got two minutes. I'm not even going to interrupt you at all. You can share whatever you'd like with the camera. You can even look at the camera if you want, but what you feel like is most valuable to you in your career and business for people that are listening, you can talk politics, you can talk religion, you can talk family, entrepreneurship, funds, whatever you want. I'll open the mic to you, you know, kind of two minutes, three minutes, whatever you want to take, but what would you feel like is most important to leave this audience before you go?
1: As you prepare to go and create wealth through fund fund management because I think that's your audience. Mm-hmm. I mean I'm not going to talk about how my my big platform is that the market is not a good comparable metric for us because it's just full of uncertainty and stupidity. Mm-hmm. But for the or or when I talk to kids I'm like don't don't follow your passion. Go and find something that is creating wealth mm-hmm. <laughs> whether you like it or not, put food on the table. And and as you create a nest egg, create freedom to go and do what mm-hmm. you are passionate about. But I would say those those who are getting into this game, it is it is not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. Creating a fund, raising capital, these are all wonderful skills that that Bridger's helping you learn. As you get into that to that driver seat, these people have either entrusted their money with you because they have inherited it, and the person they inherited it from worked a lifetime to accumulate it. Mm-hmm. They've worked for it, they built the business and sold it. Now they've got this exit and they're giving you some of the capital. They have $1,500 at the end of every pay cycle over 20 years that they are handing to you. Think about that every time mm-hmm. you deploy that capital. Make sure you understand that the win did not come when you raised the money. The win comes when you recapture the principle, preserve the principle, with a yield on top of it. And the coolest thing about I think the 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 sector we've chosen to operate within beyond it being tangible is if you think about the American dream the thing I love about fund management specifically in real estate is that you are taking a a a situation where someone needs capital from someone who has worked to create capital. Mm. And in a unconventional way that they wouldn't get through the bank, you are connecting those dots. And with that capital is created something tangible that wouldn't stand otherwise. And within that tangible thing, if it's student housing, we have 1,044 kids in our latest building. This year, 25% of those kids are gonna meet their spouse. They're gonna start a family. Mm -hmm. Hopefully um, they don't start the family in the student housing, but (laughs) they are going to decide what Mm -hmm. they're gonna go and be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: in our retail building, there are four businesses. One of them will fail, three of them will thrive. Mm-hmm. Those that it's there's beauty there. They're 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 hiring employees. Those employees now feed their families. I love that in in fund management, as you deploy capital and take it seriously because of where that money came from. Not only can you build wealth for yourself and your family, it's a great model to to earn a living with. But you create this, this ecosystem where everyone is winning if you don't get greedy. And, and it's a great thing that you're doing by democratizing the entry points. Because if people learn how to manage capital and deploy it with integrity, um, you know it, it, there's no better place to be, it's fun. Every hmm. single day is different and, and I love what I do.
0: Hmm kellen jones thank you so much for coming on thanks so much i um i love that that was spot i i absolutely love that where are people people watching on instagram or live here or whatever people that can go find you what's a good place to follow you or reach out or what's a, what's where if people want to find you and your stuff where do they go
1: um you hit me on linkedin uh or our website is prospera.fund dot fund f-u-n-d so depending on who you are, we either put the fu in fun or fund. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's that's where you can find it. Prospera dot
0: fund. Right, and then just Kellen Jones on LinkedIn, LinkedIn. and bet. Instagram as, Facebook. as well. Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. I'm, a, I'm on TikTok now. I've been seeing this TikTok. He's got some good TikToks. Yeah, Jones. That. <laughs> I love it. Okay, thank you guys. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Bridger here, I have four free and simple ways I can further help you to scale your business or fund. Number one, I have a YouTube channel, with actually, I don't, to toot my own horn, I think it's decent content on there. Go check it out. Bridger Pennington is a YouTube channel. We go very deep on funds. Number two, I have a one hour free training at investmentfundsecrets.com. We go very deep into how to actually start and scale your very own fund from ground zero. Number three, you can join our free private Facebook group of like-minded people like me and you that go out and launch and scale of funds. I go live in there once a week. The name of the group is Investment Fund Secrets. And then number four, finally, I have a free PDF guide on how to actually launch and scale your fund. If you go to investmentfundsecrets.com slash guide, you can download that guide. Now, finally, people always ask me, Bridger, can you help me one-on-one? Can we work together? Yes, I don't wanna talk about that in here, but if you wanna learn more, message me, bridger at investmentfundsecrets.com or just DM me on Instagram. Thank you guys, and I'll see you in the next episode.